0: Uh, If you have your Bibles now, please open them to the letter of 1 Corinthians. If you are a guest, you should know that we preach exegetically through God's Word, uh, through whole books of the Bible, verse by verse, sometimes chapter by chapter, and we recently started a new sermon series in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is going to be addressing issues within the Corinthian church, issues that are contrary to the gospel that they profess to believe in. And the first issue that he's going to tackle is the issue of disunity within the body. And so this morning, let's begin by reading First Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? be emptied of its power. Amen. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Many of you know how much I love to read books. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. But one of the things that is even better than just reading a book is getting to read a book out loud to my wife, Ashley. We've done this many, many times. And usually when we talk to people about this, people quickly ask us, well, what kind of books do you like to read out loud to each other? And I think most people expect us to say something like a nice Jane Austen novel or something similar to that. Usually, I like to lead with, you know, Lord of the Flies. (laughs) People who know literature get a strange look on their face very quickly. They usually say something like, you read The Lord of the Flies on your dayday? What kind of distorted idea of romance is that? And that's because Lord of the Flies is not a romantic book at all. Lord of the Flies is about a bunch of young boys stuck on an island who start killing each other. It's not warm, it's not cozy, it's certainly not romantic. But in our defense, we didn't really know what it was about when we started reading it <laughs> on our date But the Lord of the Flies is a book about human nature. And how every society or every civilization inevitably ends up with divisions within itself. Among this small group of boys stuck on this island, there there quickly emerges opposite sides, different cliques or factions, leaders who oppose one another and who have followings of people behind them. There's rivalry, there's distrust, there's deceit. Lord of the Flies is a study of human nature and how within within any civilization there's always division. Division according to power structures, divisions based on understandings of morality, divisions based on rational or emotional responses to circumstances. If you leave a group of people together long enough, there will be issues of unity. Maybe not always to the degree of the Lord of the Flies, where boys are hunting each other and trying to stick each other's head on a stake. Maybe not to that degree, but as long as humans are together, there will be issues of unity. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul has found out about the Corinthian church. He had been with them years before. For about a year and a half he had been with them. And when he had left them, they were a united group of Christians together. They were one body. They were marked by unity and by love for each other. But now, things are very different. We read here that Paul has gotten reports from others that the unity at Corinth has been lost. They're quarreling with each other. Factions and and groups have formed, and there's a lack of love. There's a lack of charity. There's a lack of pursuit of gospel-motivated unity towards one another, and it's not a good thing. It's a big deal. Let me ask you a question. How important do you think that unity is within the local church? How important is it that there be no divisions among God's people? How important is it that by God's grace, you, that you get along with other people in your church, in other people in your fellowship group, or, or that you speak lovingly and respectfully and with a spirit of charity towards other church members, whether it be in personal conversation or in text message or in the comments section on social media? How important is Church family, what we find here in our passage today and in the next few chapters of this letter is that unity within the body of Christ is immensely important. It is essential to us being who God has called us to be. Now, listen, while there may be many, many other areas of life in this world that reflect the Lord of the Flies, jump on social media at times, that feels like Lord of the Flies, that must not be our experience within the church. No, we must, Paul says, we must pursue unity together. It is central, absolutely central to who we are. And it is honestly the the only logical outcome of believing in the gospel that we sing and celebrate together this afternoon. We must be united. The main idea for our message this morning is this. The gospel urges us to boldly pursue unity together. The gospel urges us to boldly pursue unity together. We have three points. Number one, the need for unity. Number two, the foundation for unity. Number three, the pursuit of unity. Let's go ahead and begin with the first point. Number one, the need for unity. Paul Paul begins this section of his letter with very strong words. Look at verse 10. He says, I appeal to you brothers, that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Some scholars, some commentators would say that verse 10 here in our text today is Paul's main idea for the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, that what he introduces here is his main goal, it's his main aim, it's his main ambition for this local church, That all 16 chapters are written to propel them towards unity. And while I am not sure that we can fit the entire letter under that single theme, I do absolutely agree that, that unity is a central theme in this letter. And it is, it's absolutely the main point of the first four chapters of this letter. Paul is, now, Paul is now stepping into an extended argument from the gospel about how we are a called church in a divided world. We are a church called by God to be different. To be united. And we see the need. We see the need for this extended argument. We see the the need for this appeal for unity in a few different places here. First of all, we see it in Paul's very strong language. The word appeal there in verse 10, that's a very strong word. It's translated in other places as urge. So there's there's an urgency to this word appeal. Paul's not just saying, hey church, Hey, listen, we've got lots of things that we can get excited about. Let me give you a few possibilities for what you can focus on. Maybe focus on your style of worship. Maybe talk about your new website design or your new branding. Maybe think more about what you call your home groups. Are they care groups? Are they community groups? Are they fellowship groups? That, that seems important. No. He's not making secondary or tertiary suggestions like that. The strength of his language is saying that what he is beginning to speak to is of great Importance for the Corinthian church. It's a really, really big deal. I mean, in verse 10 alone, we see so many words that speak to the importance of unity. He says, I appeal, or I strongly urge that all, all of you agree, think the same way, have the same ambition, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same Mine in the same judgment. There's so many words just in this one verse alone that speak of the church being together. Personally, I love the words among you. As I have studied this, this book over the last two years, I've been affected by how often Paul uses the words among you in this letter as he writes to this church. He's not addressing individuals. He's not addressing individual people. He's addressing a whole group together. He's saying that, that remaining united together is of utmost importance for the church. His language makes it emphatically clear. But we also see the need for unity in what he says next. It's not just an idea that Paul pulls out of thin air to promote before them. No, Paul is speaking to the need for unity because he's been told that there is a distinct lack of unity within this church. Look at verse 11. It says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. I tend to think of Chloe as a tattletale, but it's okay. God uses it. So Paul is speaking to this issue of unity because there's a distinct lack of unity within the church. We don't know exactly who this, this woman Chloe is or who her people are, but it's very likely that she was just a, a wealthy woman in the church of Corinth. And then she had family or servants who traveled to Ephesus where Paul was staying. And while they were there, maybe on business, they met Paul and shared with him the division that was existing within the church. And in case the Corinthians weren't convinced that Paul was really aware of what was going on, Paul helps them to understand how much he knows. Verse 12, he says, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Chloe's given details. Paul knows the details of what has been happening. Apparently, people within the church begun to find too much identity in the leaders that they liked or that they preferred. There's a really good chance that, that their allegiance to each leader here and the division that came about because of it was based really only on style of leadership, so, so if they liked the way that Apollos spoke and the way that he led, well, then they would become disciples of Apollos. If they like the way that Cephas spoke, Cephas is just another name for the apostle Peter, well, then they would be devoted to Peter. If they like Paul's style of leadership and preaching, then they would be devoted to him. And so, in a city like Corinth, which already prioritized oracle eloquence and and, and excellence, there's a really good chance that the division simply came by them liking one style of leadership more than another. But it could also be that the division was based on which leader they were converted under. So if they were saved by God's grace while Peter was preaching, well, then they were likely baptized by Peter and felt a special allegiance to Peter. If they were saved while Apollos was pastoring them, then they likely would have been baptized by Apollos and felt a special allegiance to him. And the same with Paul. These are both very likely possibilities for the division. They likely either or both just preferred a style of leadership and felt a strong affection for the men that had led them to Christ. Listen, we don't need to know the exact reason to understand the issue that Paul is speaking to. There is a need for unity within this church because people are quarreling. And Paul wants them to know that this disunity this should not be present. And we don't need to be a member of the church in Corinth to see how relevant Paul's words are, not just for them, but for us today. Redeemer followers, is this not a timely word? We live in such a divided world. And the divisions of this world and of our culture are constantly trying to creep into the body of Christ as well, we all have our favorite political commentators. We all have our different perspectives on how a pandemic should be handled. We all have our different perspectives on how to parent our children. We all have different ideas of what kind of music to sing. We all have our favorite pet theologies to care about. We all have different ideas of what is important and what is not important. Some of us like Starbucks. Some of us like Dunkin'. It's a big divide. Some of us love Apple products. Others of us think it's a cult. There's divisions everywhere. And and listen, not only do we have different convictions about things like this, we also live in a a hyper-critical age, don't we? In which we can't just feel strongly about something, but we also need to demonize the other side of that conversation. Our culture, and oftentimes the church, is just marked by division rather than by unity. And Paul is wanting to speak to this issue. Point number one today is the need for unity. Redeemer Fellowship, let me encourage you to be asking honest questions about yourself and about the relationships in your life. Relationships, particularly with other Christians and even more in particular with members of this church. Are there people in your life that you are not united to? Are there people that you feel opposed to? that you have let sin divide? Are there issues in life that you feel more strongly about than you feel about the value of unity with that person? Listen, over the next couple months, we're gonna talk a lot about unity within the body of Christ. And so please don't go through this time assuming that this doesn't apply to you. If there are areas that you have allowed disunity to creep into your life over time that you just Uh, allow time to kind of push to the background of your thoughts, if there's relationships that are broken and almost forgotten about, I believe that God is wanting you to just humbly and, and honestly look at those and to consider the opportunity to pursue unity with those people, particularly if they're members of this church or if they're brothers and sisters in Christ elsewhere. And listen, we can do this because we have every reason in the world to believe that God will help us to do this. And that brings us to our second point. The strong foundation for our unity. Point number two. The foundation for unity. Paul, Paul gives us the grounds for our unity by helping us to see the, the logical disconnect that exists when there is disunity within the church. Paul seeks to help us to see that, that if we believe in Jesus then the the natural result of that belief in Jesus, the the logical outworking of that belief in Jesus, will lead us towards unity together. Look look at verse 13. After, After noting how some of them have been saying, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ, look at verse 13. He asks several very rhetorical questions. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul responds to their disunity by exposing the the lunacy of claiming to believe in Jesus while while allowing secondary things to bring division between them and other Christians. It just doesn't make sense to the Apostle Paul. He doesn't get it. How can there be factions among you when you all claim to worship a crucified Savior? He's making the point that Jesus was the one who was crucified for them. Not Paul. Paul had served them. Paul might have been persecuted on their behalf. Paul might have done some great things for them as their pastor. But listen, only Jesus, only Jesus was the pure and spotless Lamb of God who through his substitutionary death on the cross appeased and propitiated the wrath of God on our behalf. Only Jesus. Only Jesus, Hebrew says, is able to save us to the uttermost. No other can do that. Only Jesus can take away our sins by the sacrifice of himself. Paul says, listen, church, please pay attention. I wasn't the one who endured that flogging for you. He says, church, I wasn't the one who was spit on for you. I wasn't the one whose hands and feet were pierced with those nails for you. Paul says, I wasn't the one who hung on that bloody cross for hours for you. I wasn't the one who had the wrath of God against the sins of the entire world poured out on me for you. He says, no, that wasn't me. That was Jesus. And so don't be devoted to me, church. Don't be devoted to Apollos. Don't be devoted to Peter. Church, don't be devoted to anything in this world other than Jesus. Only Jesus, Redeemer Fellowship, deserves our devotion. Paul feels so strongly about this. look at what he says in verses 14 and 15. He says he says, "I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And so Paul spent extensive time in Corinth, probably a year and a half at least until he had. Plenty of opportunities to baptize new converts, but it seems like he intentionally did not participate in the act of baptizing new converts because maybe he sensed, particularly in a place like Corinth, that they seemed to idolize leaders too much. And so he didn't want them to be devoted to himself more than to Jesus. I love this about Paul. Pastoral ministry for Paul was not a a self-promotion game to get more followers. Paul didn't want any of his own disciples. Paul's not looking for check marks next to his name to show how effective he was in gospel ministry. He's not seeking to impress anyone. He just wants to promote Jesus. I I actually love how in verse 16, Paul adds what I find to be a humorous parenthetical statement. Look at verse 16. He says, I did baptize also the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. And I love that because it shows how human Paul is It's almost like he's standing there dictating to Sophanes He's writing everything down for him And he, he comes out with that statement I thank God that I baptized none of you And Sophanes is like, wait a minute, Paul Do you remember the house of Stephanus? Oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right Let's put that in there too And he's almost like, should we start a new page? No, let's not start a new page Just put it in there They can see my mistake, it's not a big deal if he was concerned about eloquence and, and impressing them with how he wrote and spoke, he would have corrected that, but he just leaves it in there. Why? Because he doesn't care. He just wants to point them to Jesus. I love how ordinary, how ordinary, sounding it, it, what he says is here. But, church, there's nothing ordinary about the truth that he has declared. Paul sees the disunity of the church and he runs immediately to the most unifying reality in the entire world, the crucified Messiah. Three weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about how Paul loves to deploy theology into our lives in order to, to resolve issues and to fix problems. Particularly, he loves to deploy the theology of the cross into our lives, and this is one of the most significant moments that he does that. Well, Paul is seeing that there's issues of unity within the local church, that there are divisions. And so what does he do? He does not tell them, well, just hold it together and keep up a face for the watching world. Don't let them know that there's divisions among you. He, he does not just talk to them like an army general and say, listen, united we stand, divided we fall, stick together. He does not take them on an early morning run out to a civil war field like and Remember the Titans and inspire them with heroic things men have fought and died for in the the past. No, when Paul wants to unite Christians together, he takes their hand and he runs them to the cross right where one man fought and died for them in that place. This This is the grounds, the foundation for our unity. But Paul's trying to say, and he's going to expound more on this in the chapters to come, he, he's trying to say that unity in the church is the only natural consequence of, of true belief in a crucified Savior. The, the cross is so central. It is so foundational to every Christian's life. It is such a significant part of our identity as Christians that it makes no logical sense to find our identity in anything else in this world at all. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Heck no! That's not who we are. Church, was your favorite celebrity pastor the one who saved you? Were your favorite political voices crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of the Republican or Democratic party? Church, were your parenting philosophies what saved you or your children? Or were you baptized in the name of your Christian freedoms? Were you saved by your particular flavor of Christianity? Were you baptized in the name of your denomination or church? Or were we baptized in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. Paul is basically saying, Christian, if you understand the cross, then you will be united together. If you do not understand the cross, or if you forget the importance of the cross, and if you love other things more than the cross, you will end up divided. It's as simple as that. The foundation for our unity is the cross of Jesus Christ. And because we stand on that strong foundation, we can boldly pursue unity together. And that brings us to our third point. Point number three, the pursuit of unity. Now that we have seen the need for unity and also the, the foundation for unity. We must, we must conclude our time by looking at the, the pursuit of unity. And maybe it seems simple to you. In one sense, I hope that it does. I believe that it is simple. If, if the foundation for our unity is the cross of Christ, well, then we must stay very close to the cross. We must not forget that paradigm-shaping, worldview-forming reality of a crucified Messiah. It is as simple as that. But listen we must not be simplistic in our application of it. I mean, after all, one of the factions that we see condemned in verse 12 is a group that says, I follow Christ. There are different explanations for why Paul included this group along with I follow Paul and Apollos and all the others. Is he just being kind of sarcastic? Is he speaking of himself in this moment? I believe, as many commentators do as well, that Paul is actually speaking of a very real faction within the church. That this is not a better group of people than the others, but rather that this was just another group who had a hyper-spirituality, a, a Gnostic spirituality, and though who, though they might sound more noble, we only follow Christ, they were, in fact, no more humble than the rest. Mm-hmm. That in their hyper-spirituality, they were actually excusing themselves from basic Christian responsibilities, perhaps even excusing themselves from the God-given responsibility to follow pastoral authority in their lives. This group is saying that they didn't need any human leader except for Jesus, which is a contradiction of God's word. So this group, if they were among us today, they'd likely be the group that would be saying, give me my Bible, but hold on to the church. I need no leader except for Jesus. Jesus. This group would be those among us who are anti-leader, anti-authority. But Paul says that that's not a better place to be than those who are idolizing human leaders because it also is a contradiction of God's design for the church. So the solution to our division is simple, but it is not simplistic. The, The answer is not just to say, let's only ever talk about Jesus. Let's not ever talk about anything else because that might bring division among us. The answer is not to say that we should just never study theology or doctrine because when we do, we become proud and that brings division. The answer is not to say that we should never talk about social or or cultural issues because we only want to be gospel-centered. The the answer is not to say that we should never talk about political or racial issues. Those things are important because God's word speaks into them. We, We should not restrict The application of God's grace to only matters of salvation because as we will see throughout this letter, God's word speaks to many cultural issues and we should pay very close attention. But then you might say, won't we just end up divided? Won't that inevitably bring about division? Look at verse 10. Again, Paul gives us a path to follow. He helps us to know how to pursue unity together despite Diversity. First of all, Paul appeals that they all agree together. That, that word agree means to say or to speak the same things. It means to have the same purpose or the same goal in what we say. But listen, we know that it can't mean to say exactly the same things as each other because the New Testament is filled with diverse people. Paul and Apollos and Peter, they're all different men and they all have different ways of speaking and, and different emphases in what they say. So the appeal to agree must be something more than appeals to just be absolutely, exactly alike. Paul appeals that there be no divisions among them, no, no splits, no separations, that though they may be different people and have different perspectives on perspectives life in this world, that there should be a unifying thread through all of their thinking that keeps them united and tied together. Paul says that this happens by being of the same mind and having the same judgment. According to Paul here, being of the same mind and judgment speaks of having the same outlook. That's that's kind of what those words mean. It looks an outlook or an attitude moving forward. Kind of like a football team is made up of many different players with many different strengths, many different roles on the field, but their mindset, their judgment needs to be united about the game that is in front of them. The goal is to win together. Church, what is our united outlook? What does it mean for us to have the same mind and the same judgment? It is to be united around the theme of God's grace in and through the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. It is to let the foundation of the gospel be our greatest identity and to know that God is using that foundation in our lives to do the greatest work. Things that are built on that foundation last. And to allow this foundation of the cross to be our greatest identity marker as Christians, to not let anything else trump this identity marker in our lives, to refuse to let politics or personalities or pet theologies be what determines who we are or how we view each other. May the the church of Jesus Christ be united in this, that our judgments, our thoughts about what is most important in this world is that God sent his son to redeem us from our sin by dying in our place. May everything else be submitted to this ultimate reality. Now listen, we don't ignore everything else. We don't act as if there are no other important issues, but we do refuse to let those sub-issues govern our minds and our judgments more than the reality of Christ, and him crucified. That's what Paul is seeking to do in our lives in these next sections. He is, he is seeking to deploy the theology of the cross into our lives. He's seeking to make the cross be the lens through which we view ourselves and each other. It's exactly what he does in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter, chapter 2, that beautiful passage where he also is, is asking for unity within the church. He says, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to speak of the the cross on which Jesus died. The the pursuit of unity comes from thinking about and thinking like Jesus, our Savior. By not putting ourselves first, but by counting others as more significant than ourselves. By, 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 By not assuming that our thinking is the only valid thought in an argument, but that there are other legitimate, even godly ways to think about an issue and to love and respect those who may think that way. When we are are cross-centered, when our foundation is the gospel, we will have the same mind and the same judgment. We will look at each other with grace as Christ looked at us, even while we were still his enemies. So what does it mean to pursue unity? It means that we focus on and that we meditate long upon the truth of the cross that we remember where our identity is found, that we look upon our Savior who died for us and we allow that glorious truth to shape our every thought about those around us within the church. Do we want to be united in a divided world? We must focus on the cross, we must meditate on the cross, we must spend our lives becoming well acquainted with the cross, we must let our affections grow even for that cruel instrument of death upon which our dear savior died. By being cross-centered, by being gospel-centered, we will never forget the greatest reality of our lives. Our identity will be set in that place and then we will have the strength and the security to walk through any number of differences with those who think differently from us in secondary issues. Just the pursuit of unity, it is a fight. And it will not come easily to Redeemer Fellowship. We must fight for unity together. There are many enemies that are eager to attack unity within the church. A united church is a miraculous thing and it causes the world to stand amazed only way to experience unity together is if we regularly go back to the cross together and remember who we are you know in the story of the lord of the flies in the midst of all the chaos one boy named Ralph finds a conch shell and he uses that shell to bring order and unity for a little while It's a a symbol of democracy. It's a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of of rules which can bring order. It brings a, a level of unity between all the boys. They all are willing to follow it for a little while. The shell is what unifies them. But over time, the shell and Ralph, who uses it, loses its power and the unity is lost. Redeemer Fellowship, there are many, many things that we can unite around. Many conch shells which we can place front and center. And they might unite us for a little while. All of them might might seem valuable. We might see hints of them in God's word, but none of them will last. All of their unifying power will eventually wane, except for the grace of God in and through the gospel. The cross is the only thing that will unite us together in an unbreakable way. Have you ever played laser tag? I enjoy laser tag, and, and you go in, you go in that huge dark room, and you get suited up with this vest and this gun, and, and there's, a, there's a war to be fought. You have an enemy that you need to attack. But when you play laser tag, your energy doesn't last forever. You start in your home base, and then you go out, and you, you look for the enemy, and you seek to fight the enemy, but eventually you run out of energy, and you have to run back to your home base, stand in front of the home base, and your energy is restored. It even makes a sound. And then you go out, and you keep the fight going. Church, our fight for unity is a long and dark fight. There are many who will attack our unity. We will have political seasons. We will have pandemic seasons. We will have cultural issues that rise up and threaten our unity together. There will be many times that we feel like we have no energy left to keep fighting together. And when we are tempted to give up on the very idea of unity, what must we do? We must go back to home base. Who was crucified for you? Christ Jesus. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. We must fight for unity. And when we feel like our strength is running low, we must run right back to the cross and meditate on what Christ has done for us there. And we must get back into the fight with all humility. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that as long as each member of the church fights for their own understanding of what a godly community will be, well, then there will be much disunity within the church. But as soon as every member of the church makes Jesus their focus, then they will all move towards each other because they will be anchored in the same place. Let me ask you, who do you give your allegiance to most? As we think about the pursuit of unity, I want to end with with several questions. Who, Who are you listening to most in This world. Do you listen to social commentators? Do you listen to the comment section on Facebook? Is your information coming from the Twitter world? The church is going to have a very hard time finding unity together as long as we listen to anything more than we listen to Jesus. So let me encourage us, church, as we begin. Let me exhort every one of us. Let's go back to our home base again and again and again. Let's go back to our home base on Sunday gatherings and never remove Jesus from the center. Let's go back to our home base through our personal devotions, reminding ourselves of who we are and what we're called to. Let's go back to our home base through our fellowship groups, through our play dates with our kids running all around. Let's make sure that we are helping each other to set our eyes on the cross, the only thing that will truly unite us, rather than dwelling endlessly on all the things that divide. Who are you listening to most? What are you speaking of most? also want to exhort and challenge you to be confessing areas of weakness and sin to the right people. As we walk through this season together, as we talk about for, for pages now the, the importance of unity within the church, my, my hope is that God's spirit convicts each one of us, not, not just on the surface, but deeply. And I would encourage you, run towards confession. Run towards Repentance. Before God and before those that you have sinned against. And finally, let me exhort us to be praying for God's help. Ephesians chapter 4 says, eagerly desire the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It is the spirit's work. And so may we, church, lean into him and ask him to do great things among us. May the church, a Redeemer Fellowship, look nothing like the Lord (coughs) of the Flies though we are hopefully increasingly diverse in every way, though we have different perspectives, may we rally around the name of Jesus.